Stand up and play. I look like a penguin. Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. Good to see you all. Glad to be with you. Um, you know what? We'll stand up. We'll sing. We'll praise. Since I'm sitting down, if you want to sit down, feel free. It's only fair. Thank you, Father, for this day, for this beautiful morning, this time we have together in your house. I just pray that uh, as we praise you, as we hear your word today, that we grow. May this be a glorious day for you and your kingdom. I just pray for everything going on here, um, all of us in this room, the, the youth as they learn and grow, and um, pray for Leonard as he brings your word, um, for us to have ears to hear it. And I uh, just pray for this afternoon, God. Thank you for all the work that's gone into planning a, a wonderful event for us to be together in. And just pray that it's a great time of fellowship and um, just a, a, a good afternoon for you, God. We love you. Set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church and we need your power in us. 
We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Refuse to waste our lives. Cause you're our joy and prize. To see the captives' hearts release. The hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. We lay down our lives for heaven's cause. church and we pray revive this earth build your kingdom here let the darkness fear show your mighty hand heal our streets and land set your church No force of hell can stop your beauty changing hearts. You made us for much more than this. Awake the kingdom seed in us. Fill us with the strength and love of Christ. We are your church and we Morning, church. Amen. What's wrong? All the streams up. Okay. Oh no, broken stream. Can all of the Pathfinder kids come up here with me, real quick? Good morning. Come on up. Turn around so they can get a good look at you right here. 
There you go. Come on up. Everyone keep coming up. Come on up, Leah. Come up. Good. Girls, come up. Emerson, come up, please. Come on up here. Thank you. Good. Line up. You guys come up a little bit more so that way. Yep, the girls can sit behind you. Leah, come on up here. All right, Emerson, good. Come on in so we can see you. All right, here's some of the kids that I get to spend Sunday mornings with. So, kids, what do we say to them? Say good morning, Shark. Good morning, Shark. So we're going to start coming up once a month and letting you know what we've been studying up in the kids' wing in junior church or kids' church. All right, so um, I don't know if we're going to be able to see it, but the last month we studied a really, a wonderful, really hard word called trust, which I know no one here struggles with. Uh, but we struggle with it up in the kids' wing, and we've been working on trust, right, guys? And trust is putting your confidence in someone you can depend on. So who did we learn we're putting our trust in? Say it one more time louder. Thank you. So we worked on that all month. And so they have something very special to share with you, their memory verse that they have memorized and hidden in their heart for the last month. So I'm going to come here out of the way a little bit. And then you guys, nice and loud, why don't you show the church what you learned with your memory verse? Are you ready? Church, now will you please follow along and join us in saying the verse and just follow the motions with the kids as they say it. So you guys have to say it really, really loud, okay? Here we go. All right, thank you guys. Let's go on over to Kids Church. Thank you. That's fun. I want to go with those guys. <laughs> but you guys are stuck here, so we'll just do Big Kids Church. And, and hopefully we can, um, we can do our own bit of learning today. Uh, glad everybody's here today. Glad you can join us either uh, physically or online in spirit. And uh, hopefully as God works in this room and with our kids and us uh, together, uh, the good things will emerge out of that. You know, we're, we're only here for three kinds of people, so I just want you to bear this in mind. Hopefully you qualify. Um, women, men, and um, the future generation. Uh, 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 now, adults in, in the process of formation. People that are developing as human beings, however you want to describe it. Uh, other than that, I don't know. Uh, but I guess we're for uh, everything that God's for. Uh, so as we gather, uh, we're going to, um, first of all, uh, find out ways uh, in, in somewhat of a personal manner uh, that uh, we can be for one another. And usually that involves prayer concerns, things that are on your heart, things that you know that if I have people in my church praying for this thing, I trust that God's going to work in a very powerful way, which he has. And uh, there are a couple of uh, people I want to keep in mind, and I may be overlooking someone or something, and if I do, I apologize. 
Uh, but I want to pray for um, Liz Elias's daughter, Allie, uh, who has a blockage in her kidney. And uh, we're not really sure what that's going to amount to, but it could involve surgery. So we want to pray for Allie. And I uh, want to pray for Rod Christensen, who uh, Thursday is going to be going in for a knee replacement. And I uh, want to keep that lifted up. On, on Thursday, and then Don Wolfgang had surgery on his heart last Friday, and from, from everything I can gather, he's doing, uh, doing well right now. Uh, but pray for he and uh, Joyce as they uh, just go through this process of recovery, and, and you know, in a marriage, it's both of those guys working together for health. Uh, so is there anything else that I'm missing here that we can be praying about? John? Oh, no. Who, who was that? Oh, no. Oh, my. Yeah. Well, I'm very sad to hear that. So pray for Twyla. Um, uh, her son, uh, her, uh, Damon, uh, passed away in a car accident. Uh, so if you know Twyla, uh, you've heard her mention uh, Damon quite a bit. So this is that's pretty serious business. Thanks for, for letting us know. Um, anything else? Diane? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to mention, you know, we, we've been praying for Gail Hill, who, who attended here for a while, uh, a few months back. And uh, was struggling a lot with cancer, and uh, God finally said, it's time to come home. And um, it was gratifying to hear that in that, you know, last uh, part of her life, she was very at peace with the Lord and um, felt his beckoning. Uh, so next Sunday uh, at, at noon, we're going to gather and just do a celebration of life here in the sanctuary. Uh, if you knew Gail or you want to come and just be a support, uh, please... Uh, uh, join us, and then we'll have a meal afterwards uh, in, the, in the fellowship hall. Uh, but that's open to everybody, um, and uh, uh, we, we just want to keep that family lifted up as they uh, go through the grief process of uh, trying to, um, you know, to, to come to terms with somebody missing in their world now. Um, also want to pray for Joe Carroll. She's been struggling a lot with, with just some health issues, and, um, and I know that her church praying for her is something that would be very meaningful uh, so please just keep her lifted up. Anyone else that we're missing here? Lisa? Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, what's happening in Florida and the Carolinas, obviously uh, overwhelming to <clears throat> many people that we're all connected to. Uh, so please keep them lifted up. Um, obviously, there's a lot of issues going on about just living life in the aftermath and cleaning it up, uh, but the loss of life and things like that, um, we are a, a, a national community together on this. So let's keep that lifted up in prayer as well. Anything else? Okay. Let's go ahead and ask God to, to be a part of all of these things in, in his way. Lord Jesus, as we think about the lives of the people around us and the significance of their experience the, the, the weight that uh, the burden has placed upon them and just the difficulty of the challenges that they are facing. 
we just pray, Father, that, that they would uh, hopefully uh, understand that there are people lifting them up and keeping them before your throne and trusting that as we are, uh, you will be at work in their lives for their needs, whatever they may be, so that you can reveal yourself and provide mercy and grace. Uh, so we want to just frame our prayer with that understanding as we lift up Allie and we pray that whatever it is that's causing the discomfort, that this would, could be resolved in a, in, a, in a timely way and that there wouldn't be any larger health impact on, on her life. So just sustain her, guard her, and keep her and heal her. We pray for Rod as he goes in for surgery on his knee that you would just bless it and bless his time in recovery and just help him through this as he anticipates it to have your peace that passes all understanding. We pray for Don and Joyce Wolfgang. Just be with Don as he recovers from his heart surgery, and we just ask that as this is a step towards uh, another procedure that he's going to be having done, I just ask that you would be in it with them, alongside them, uh, as they go through this, and they could discover uh, a deeper sense of your presence and your mercy and your grace. Father, I pray for uh, Gail Hill's family, that you would just help them in this time of grieving, and uh, just pray that you would be with Twyla and Damon's family and all of those that are so tightly knit there. The tragedy, I'm sure, is just shocking for all of them to bear right now, and I pray that your spirit would be there to comfort them and just help them, Lord, through this. Father, we pray for our church as we are moving into a season where you're unfolding a lot of things that um, are, are, are happening ministry-wise and uh, gathering-wise, and hopefully uh, as we reach out to the community in a posture of, of, of looking for ways that you're leading, uh, we pray that you make us aware of who we can collaborate with and who we're called to serve and how it is that we can be the salt and the light and the place that, that expresses your love as you desire, Lord. Um, so we want to lift these things up to you, our, our event today as we gather uh, for fellowship this afternoon, that your blessing would be upon it, and that it would just be another strengthening mechanism that you have in play to make us rooted and established in the faith that we have. Father, thank you for drawing everyone into this place this morning, and I pray that the words that I have to say would be an expression of your, your will and your purpose, and and where, where, where perhaps I'm not totally in tune, I just pray that you help us to sort that out as well. But regardless, Father, we are trusting you to work in our hearts so that you can work through our lives and into the lives of other people. If changes need to happen in us, uh, Lord, give us the humility to recognize where that is. And if you are desiring to push us even further into service and places of discomfort that uh, are, are your way of saying, yeah, if I call you, I can en enable you to do what beyond what you could ask or imagine. So we're trusting you, Lord, as our memory verse for our kids has underscored. Help them as they're developing their trust to help us to develop ours alongside that as we trust you. So thank you, Father. Give us a heart and a mind for you as we pray together our Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, we're going to jump into the book of Daniel again. Uh, we are in chapter 4. And I don't know if, uh, if you're like me as I've gone through this book again. Uh, I hadn't, hadn't really looked at it in a few years, but this side of the pandemic, it is just speaking volumes to me regarding things that we've had to trust as we've gone through this experience the last few years together, but also this sense of the world has changed, and in some ways it's resonant with the spirit of Babylon. It's not really reflecting the things that are sourced in the things of God, uh, but there's a lot of confusion, and even uh, speaking for myself, I can tell you I've been confused a lot trying to lead a church through this and trying to just personally navigate my own faith and how it is that God plays a role in my life and your lives uh, in, in, in this experience and what that means and what that look like, looks like. And as we look at Daniel, we find that he's a guy who has gone through something that is in many ways very parallel. Uh, he has been taken out of a, a way of life with a lot of things that you just assume are going to be there for who knows how long, and yet being disrooted and unestablished in the way of life that he started to be formed in and then thrown into an environment that is completely different with a completely different set of rules and uh, responsibilities, uh, it has to be confusing uh, for anyone to do that. I can't even imagine how he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego pull that off and as I look at where we're at and what we are called to kind of pull off, we're asking the question again, God, what are you calling us to do and be in this moment that we are in? And maybe we've even had to ask a deeper question, and that is, who am I now? Because my world has changed. What hasn't changed? And the thing that is so perennial about the book of Daniel is the book of Daniel has been read by the by the Jewish people and by the church, and it's recognized throughout history as one of the most quoted books in our tradition because people have looked at the experience of Daniel and they've said that parallels what we are going through now. And I've really felt that. And as we're going into the, the message today, I'm very intrigued by a few things that jump out at us, and I want to pull those out for your benefit as well. Um, as we, as we kind of go through the story of Nebuchadnezzar um, having a second dream. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to, to, to just kind of track along with us. And, uh, and if not, um, we're going to offer some thoughts that um, hopefully will help you to um, deal with whatever it is that, that, that's going on in your life right now. So here we go. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is writing a letter quite a bit later than some of the stories that we've been reading in Daniel 1, 2, and 3. And he's, he's kind of at a place where a lot of his kingdom is now been established and brought to order in a way that has created a sense of con settled contentment. And uh, it's a wonderful place to be, to know that you've gone through your struggles, you've had your battles, you've paid your dues, and now you can look at the result of it and say, oh, this is all my doing. And that's going to lead us into the problem that we're going to face in this story. So King, King Nebuchadnezzar wrote a letter to all the peoples and nations and languages 
it, it's kind of like that letter that maybe you've received from uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses or something. It's a handwritten letter. Maybe you got one in the mail. And basically talking about the times that we're in and the need for church and that particular church. And it's signed by a person that hand wrote it. And I was very intrigued when I received that letter because it reminded me of how personal that was, yet at the same time, how it reflected an understanding of the larger picture. In, in that case, I didn't feel like I agreed with where they were coming from. But in this case, I absolutely do. And so he's telling everybody in the nation a story about his life, his testimony. And he's seeking to bless people with this story. And you may be thinking right about now, what? Because Nebuchadnezzar is one of those people that, as we've learned up to this time, he's not really been exactly in tune with the things of God, even though he's been interested and has kind of paid a little bit of lip service to it. But now he's writing a letter broadcasting something that doesn't make any sense unless something dramatically has happened in his life that has changed him from the inside out. So here's what he says. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has ever done for, done, done for me. And I'm jumping around just a little bit. So he fast forwards to uh, here where we read, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. And I saw a dream that made me afraid. And as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head, they alarm me. Then he goes on to say uh, in Daniel, Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, that's his Babylonian name, which means um, basically Marduk or the sun god, this, uh, or the moon god is my god. And so it's being told from that angle because Nebuchadnezzar's telling it. So Belshazzar was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed, alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belshazzar, uh, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belshazzar, that is Daniel, answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who are your enemies. And as, um, as I, there's, there's a part here that, that wasn't included in that slide, but basically he's saying that may it be to the effect of having a, a curse on them rather than you. I'm going to stop there for just a minute because Daniel, in his response, is at a place in the relationship with Nebuchadnezzar where they've experienced a lot together. And he, he's been appointed to pretty significant social and cultural and political posts as head of the, of the magicians, which doesn't mean much to us, but in their world, that was a, that was a pretty, pretty high post in the cabinet of the president. And as he performed that role, there was a lot of give and take between himself and Nebuchadnezzar regarding their ways of life. And I have to believe that Daniel, who was in exile, didn't recognize the exile as a way of well, lamenting the fact that God's punishing us more so as an opportunity to showcase the glories of God in the kind of situation that he found himself in. 
And rather than play the victim card, he said, I'm going to do whatever it is that God is telling me to do under these conditions, albeit not ideal, but God is at work in them. He's actually created conditions that uh, will enable us to see him in a way we haven't seen him, and I'm just going with it. And all of this stuff was very perplexing for Nebuchadnezzar because it didn't make any sense that he's living a life in reference to something that he can't quite see or understand yet. But he clearly recognizes that Daniel is different than everybody else because he's got peace, he's got confidence, not arrogance, confidence in that whatever happens, he's not really too shaken by it. Daniel has a quality that says, I believe there is a higher power in control of all of the events and the affairs of humanity. And let that soak in a little bit, because I think that has been tested in a way that a lot of us have wondered, God, are you really in charge? And what we find out here is the answer to that question is yes. So let's, let's, let's go back to um, our scripture again as we're following the flow here of, of events. Because Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and we've kind of fast-forwarded through that, and it is disturbing, and Daniel is called to respond to it, and he's disturbed that his friend is upset, and this dream is likely going to impact his life in ways that um, he, he, it just brings him a, a great deal of pain. So Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, just lay it on the table. Let's be honest, because you've done that before, and it seems to always, well, it just gets to the bottom of the matter, and I'm ready to hear it. But are we? And this is what he said. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole world, now, just, just imagine for a minute, the whole notion of ba the Tower of Babel, which was in that same location uh, centuries before, was that a tower would be built that could reach the gods and make that connection between heaven and earth. And so Daniel is saying that you had a vision of a tree that in many ways did the same thing or aspired to do the same thing, and it really is not going to end well for this tree. The tree in its own mind, I guess, if you want to use that as a, as a metaphor that, that takes on human-like qualities, was a provider. It was a benefactor. It was a source for everything that everyone needed. And if you read the history books about the conquest of Nebuchadnezzar and how he initially fought wars and lost them and there was a lot of skirmishes and back and forth, and then there was a pivot in his own understanding of things where he got good. He just kind of leveled up. And after that, he pretty much just took over. And as a result of that, he had this vision. I'm not here to be an oppressor other than for the lower classes that are going to build this stuff for me. I am here to bring well-being to all of Babylon. And his sense was Babylon is now being blessed because of the things that I've managed to put in order, the infrastructure, the resources, and just the ability, if you can imagine, to create the logistics of sourcing things from elsewhere and letting them arrive at your doorstep the next day. There were no parts shortages here. 
there were, there were no complaints about, oh, we can't get that. You know, sometimes I think with marketing right now, it used to say, you know, um, that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have this delivered to you in, in three days or we're going to eat the cost or something like that. Marketing should probably say right now, you're going to order this and it may show up or it may not. That's all we can promise because that's about the way it is. That was not the world that he was in. It was a world that was prospering. And Daniel said, you have this view that it is all about you and what you've done as the great patron for all of humanity. You're the savior. Problem is, as you think about that tree, it's referring to you and the destiny that you're going to have on the road ahead. And Daniel did not want to tell his friend that. It was deeply disturbing to him because he knew that the road ahead for his friend was going to probably lead to his undoing. As humiliating as it would become, Daniel recognized he still had to offer it. So he told the king, O king, who has grown and become strong, your greatness this, this ha has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And that was the sense that, that he had. There's that missing verse that I needed to tell you a minute ago um, about the interpretation. Let's move on. Um, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be, well... You should be wet like the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you for this to occur, which means it's going to, for about seven years, you're just going to lose your mind. I mean, he is going to lose it emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. It is all just going to go completely off the reservation, and it's going to happen not just for a brief amount of time, but for seven years. And that, to me, is, well, that's a long time to not be thinking clearly. That's a long time to be operating out of a space where when you look at life, you just don't see things very well, and you react to things almost like an animal. What scares me a little bit about this description is that psychologists will say, and I don't totally agree with the premise, but I agree with, the, with, with what they're talking about, and that is we are one of the few creatures that are designed with a prefrontal cortex, which means that we can think abstractly, we can think about life in a meaningful way that, that no other creature can except the elephant, uh, some primates, and uh, bless you, and the, and the octopus. Um, everybody else has just got a frontal cortex, which essentially means that the prefrontal cortex helps us to not just live in reaction to everything. Um, it helps us to plan, to set goals, to look at things in the abstract, and to kind of say, okay, this is going to be my response. And instead, psychologists say that when we are under a great deal of stress, all that goes away. And we move into fight or flight. We move into what's called um, a part of our brain 
that um, is, is, is known as the limbic system. It's just a very basic part of our brain that everything is sort of built on top of. And the limbic system just says a couple of things, bad or good, run or fight, lash out or withdraw into the shadows. And that's about it. I wonder if that's been happening in our world now. I wonder how many people have just basically lost their ability to think through what's going on, and now they're just in that sort of limbic space. And that is essentially what has happened to him. He's just, he's just functioning like an animal. And the thing about it is he was designed in God's image and likeness to function like a a being, a created being that is responsible for doing a lot of things that no animal could ever even imagine. And yet he is reduced to just fear and self-protection and just trying to find what the next threat is going to be or the next meal um, is going to be sourced in. Daniel says, that's where you're at. You're going to live at a very basic level for seven years. And it's not because God is wanting to punish you as much as he wants to show you something that you clearly are not able to wrap your mind around because you're stuck. And what was he stuck in? Pride. Pride. And pride is one of those things that whenever it shows up at our doorstep, which is pretty much every day for any of us. It is that thing that C.S. Lewis calls, um, well, he calls it the utmost evil. And I'm going to finish this out, and then I want to I move into that for a second. But this is where it's going. You're going to be driven to these places that are the dwellings of animals till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, um, he, whoever he will. And so when Nebuchadnezzar is told this, he's reminded of something that he heard back in a dream, before, dream interpretation before, that the Most High God has given him as a ruler, like he gives all the rulers their time and their place, and their moment. And if there was ever a time when the church has to step back and say, as I'm watching my TV, as I'm reading bad news on social media, that it is God who is in control of that. It is God who is allowing that. It is God who has put these people in place to oversee us. And if he's done that, it also means that God's going to be with his people as he's allowed that to happen. But he's going to allow, basically, the people who have that kind of ruler leading them to get what, get what they want. And that is a way of life apart from God with a type of ruler that doesn't honor God. And that has happened throughout time. And God's aim has always been, I want every person, including every king, 
to come to the knowledge that I am the God most high. And if you honor me and serve me, life will work. If you don't, things will fall apart. And Daniel is trying to make this point with Nebuchadnezzar in the course of his whole life of conversation with him. That God is the one in control. God is the reason why I'm here. God has put me in exile for the purpose of making known to you a non-Israelite, non-Hebrew, non-Jewish person that the God most high rules. And you still haven't figured it out. What's so fascinating is that as we've read the story, um, uh, it, it says, uh, and as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed uh, uh, for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and, um, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel's telling him something, and, and Scripture's going to confirm in a, in a minute that he's given 12 months to think about what the dream means, to make some important life choices that have to do with not so much what's happening out there, but what's happening in here. And if there's ever a moment that we've gone through where what is happening out there has affected or brought to the surface who we are in here, I honestly have to think it has been these last few years. That everything inside of us is kind of coming to the surface. And one of the burdens that, that has increasingly been mine as a pastor is to recognize that, yes, people are saved and they need to hear the good news about Jesus and they need to come into a relationship with him. Yes, the church needs to be discipled and they need to be trained to do that and to provide communities where they can, they can safely bring other people into groups and learn and study and grow together. But there's something else that the church has not been very good at, and that is helping us ask the question, how do I work on the stuff inside of me that is not right? Because whatever is in you that is not right is not going with you. And we've kind of, in, 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 the, in, the, in the broader frame of the church, looked at that as there's something about having to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus that's important for the mission. And other people have said it is a difference between our ego, which means the world revolves around me, and my orientation and my decision-making process centers on what I want, and that, that is our ego. It's self-protective. It either wants to be in charge, or it wants to be safe, or it wants to be uh, in a place where it is protected. And many times we make decisions in the church driven from things that are going on inside of us that are just not right. And pride is really at the center of it. Because it basically says it's all about me. And what God is saying, no, it is not all about you. There's a shift that has to be made from being egocentric in how you look at to your true authentic self as I have designed and made you. And that might be the self that 
you're saying, well, I don't know that version of myself, but if you're taking communion together and you are in a space where you're being totally sincere with yourself and with God and with the people around you, that's the self that God says is going with you. The ego is not going with us. Jesus didn't die for our egos. It doesn't have a place. It doesn't mean that we're diminished anything. It just means we're right-sizing our humanity when we recognize our lives only find their fullest meaning identity when they are lived in reference and sourced in the things of God. And believers, our life is a journey of kind of discovering that. And the more you discover it, the more peace you have, the less defensive you are, the less fearful you are, the less sense of, well, I did that, and the more sense of, I am safe under God's care. I am secure in the knowledge that he has called me to be a new creation, destined for eternity. I am safe in a community of people that understand that. I really don't have to be defensive about anything, and I don't have to be self-centered in my ambitions. I can just ask the question that every believer should ask and every new believer should understand. It is not just about you getting saved. It is you and I getting saved together under the lordship of Christ. It's about us. The church is always an us thing. Daniel understood that. And that's why he could embrace Nebuchadnezzar as a brother as he came to understand himself, who God truly was. But even up to this point... Daniel said, I love you, Nebuchadnezzar. I am deeply disturbed by what I see, but I'm not embracing the things that you're promoting. And there is a difference. And as he came alongside Nebuchadnezzar in all their differences, his hard word was, unless you do some personal inventory here regarding your own way of life, your own rebellion, your own willfulness, your own pride, it's not going to go well. And then even more so, unless you look at the people in your kingdom through God's eyes instead of your own, you'll also not be in that right space. It's so fascinating to me to think about how people look at each other. And a lot of times we just project onto people what we want to see rather than what God sees. And so much of what God is trying to do is helping us to just see people as they are. And we were doing a study with the elders last uh, Thursday, and we were talking about the hymn Amazing Grace by John Newton. And you think about, as you sing that song, you know, how he talks about how, you know, God saved him through all these things, and, and it's just so amazing, and we love that song. What was so fascinating to me and I found disturbing as well was the, the mindset that it really was just about me getting my soul saved because even as John Newton wrote that hymn, as he left being a slave ship owner, having made several passages back and forth across the Atlantic hauling slavery, slaves in the hole, and then he writes Amazing Grace. And we all assume, well, it's obvious that he's clearly disturbed by what he has done for all these human beings for so many years that it was ironic that as he became a pastor and started preaching, he preached about a lot of stuff, 
But for 30 years, he never mentioned that slavery was an injustice. Can you believe it? Now, I have a problem with that because clearly our sin has a me and God dimension, but it also has a social dimension, and Daniel brings that out. He says, you got stuff on the inside that is affecting how you are doing things on the outside. You get clear on what's happening inside, you'll look at the people in your kingdom a lot differently. You'll see them less and less as objects to be manipulated for a grand end that will ultimately result in wonderful pride about your accomplishment to human beings made in God's image and likeness. And if there was ever a time that we needed to reestablish that point, it's now. Because human beings, a lot of times, are pretty vicious towards one another. And God looks at that and he says, that's not what my design is. So Nebuchadnezzar has to go through a period of soul searching. But for 12, for, for 12 months, he's like, you know, I heard that and I kind of had a moment where it, it upset me. But then that passed and I just went on business as usual. But sometimes when we're dealing with our sin, God says, I've just had enough. You're not getting it. And things start to happen in our lives where we're starting to question if God is even there or maybe exists. And God may be saying, no, I'm, I'm here. And sometimes we are the victim of other people, and we have to keep that in mind. But other times God is saying, I'm just going to let you go through some stuff that's going to be painful, but you're going to see as you're going through that it has to do with the thing you need to deal with. You've been treating people like animals for a long time, you know what? Why don't you just become one for about seven years and do a little soul searching? And that's exactly what God did. And the scripture tells us that um, he basically went away from his community into the woods and took on animal-like creature features with long fingernail, long claws, and, and uh, just hair growing out and just really not right in the head at all, totally functioning in his limbic system for seven years. Now, I wonder sometimes when God lets us go through painful stuff, when we sort out, yeah, I was mad at God, yeah, I didn't believe in God, yeah, I turned away from God, yeah, I did this or that. At the end of the day of all that sorting, you know what's left? Which is still God and you. And after seven years, God says, I'm here. Are we done? And I, I would love to have heard that conversation. Because I think Nebuchadnezzar says, I get the point. But what ruler of an empire would ever say to all the people that were his subjects, hey, I lost it. I lost my mind for seven years and the version of myself that emerged during that time, I'm just going to broadcast to everybody. 
Who who carries a modicum of pride would say, hey, I think I'll do that? Nobody wants to tell other people our own brand of crazy, do we? But he's like, I got perspective here, and it doesn't matter. What matters is that the name of the Most High God is elevated, and that I'm now connected to him in a healthy way, and it's going somewhere, way beyond this. But for the time being, I found something else out, that when God brought my mind back to the place where it needed to be, he began to bless me again. Things started to show up. Things started to happen in due season at the right time. And I related to all of that stuff very differently. Before it was like, this is mine, it's mine, it's mine. Like any blessing that we get, we tend to say, hey, that's a good thing. And we latch onto it and pretty soon we're holding it tight. I'm old enough now to know that I've had a lot of blessings in a lot of different forms and a lot of friendships that um, are just sacred to me. And every one of them I've had to, I've had to hold like this. It, it's only for a season. And I just, I savor it. Because that's the way it is. And I find that anything or anyone that I do this with, well, it's like the first girlfriend that I seriously had. She said, I got I to gotta step away from you. You're trying to control me too much. I'm like, what? And it was like she had just become sort of an object rather than a person. And it just went south. Hopefully I've learned my lesson, but time will tell. Um, my wife will tell. Um, but... At the end of the day, I've had so many good relationships in this church, and one of the most difficult parts of my job is to come up here and stand and do their, the funeral of people that I've become attached to, and knowing that there's just a season. And it's been hard to let go a lot of times, but I, I'm thankful that this is not all that there is. But I recognize blessings are to be held in an open hand if they're going to truly be a blessing. Well, that's... Oh, man. Celebrate the moments, people. Um, Daniel sees his role as trying, as an agent, to try to help Nebuchadnezzar understand a lot of things. But I think this is the most important one. Because a good leader can only be a true blessing if they hold the things that they're responsible for like this. When you start to hold it like that, you end up being a bad leader. And I, I, I just want to show you a few slides as, um, as we're, we're, we're sort of taking the story and, 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 and making it hopefully meaningful. I want to show the first one in this, in this order that, uh, that basically says we need to eagerly receive the gifts we have been given. And I tell people every day, I have never seen so many blessings in the course of the day than these last, than probably this last year. Because I've learned to appreciate all the things that haven't been taken away, all the things that are right in front of me. 
And when I see them, I, I, I eagerly receive them. And I know that they're sourcing God and they're good. I don't, I don't lament the fact I had this taken away and I'm a victim of that. I just, I, I don't know. I, I've seen so many things now that I never even had the presence of mind or the personal presence of just attending to see that I see now. And Nebuchadnezzar is moving into that space as a mercy, but also as a desire of God making him the best human that he can be. The second aspect of this, though, is, is we need to remember to honor the God who gave them. So every blessing that you have needs to have a corresponding act of gratitude. There's nothing worse than a follower of Jesus that feels entitled and lacks gratitude. And I've been one of them. And it's just not becoming. And usually it's pride saying, that's my thing. But there's our authentic self that says, Thank you for that. Thank you for them. I know they're from you. And I'm blessed. And this is the other thing that Nebuchadnezzar was starting to tune into over that seven-year period as he woke up. As that's happening, you do have to hold things with an open hand. And those are blessings that are given. And those are blessings that well, they have a shelf life. And you can't control that. And if you do, this is what happens next. Or they become idols that undo your soul and undo the blessings, undo, undo the gift's blessing. They just become something that you're like, no, nah, I got to hang on to that. I'm fixated on that. I got to make that the thing. And when you do, you start to unravel. It starts maybe with pride, but then it ends up on Animal Farm. And so here's how I want to end that thought, and it's this. As we eagerly receive the gifts we've been given, remember they are designed to last for a season. Nebuchadnezzar thought, I'm establishing this once and for all. But in reality, God's establishing it who knows how long. Only he knows. And as, as you read the story, which I hope that you guys, if you haven't been reading uh, the stuff that we're doing on the book of Daniel, these are free. We put these together. They correspond with what we're learning. And, and you guys online, if you, if you want to access this, just go through our, our, our online stuff or get a hold of the office. But this is really a way that God helps you and I in the moment that we're in to not only make sense of what's happening, but know how to relate to the things that are important to us. And part of what we won't let go is the past. We don't live in that place anymore. That was an opportunity. And part of the place that we won't let go of is the future. Hey, if we only do this, if we only get that person, if we only, if we only, if we only. The most important place that you are in, located in right now is right now. Because everything that you have in the right now 
is here for a while. Embrace it, celebrate it, give gratitude for it or them, and then recognize God has a purpose in its place in your life at the moment. What are you going to do with it? And Daniel's sense was, I'm going to take the gift that I have, and I'm going to find a way to use it for God's service. Don't know what that means. And God blessed him. God brought him into relationships with people. God brought him into awkward situations that he really didn't want to be a part of. But in every case, Daniel said, God, I'm uneasy. I'm uncomfortable. I'm afraid. I don't want to do that. But he always concluded with, God, if you put this in front of me, I'm going to walk into it. And it may be a fiery furnace. And if it is, I'll know that you're going to be walking with me. And that gives the believer courage to just face whatever the day presents and not worry about the ego saying, I got to control it. I got to control the outcome. I got to control the situation, you know, or I got to run away from it. Essentially, he's saying, don't be attached to the outcome of anything. Just be attached to me. And what you need along the way, I will provide. You got to trust me. What the kids just tell us, got to trust him. And so as I conclude this part of the message series, I don't know if your struggle is with pride, but I'm guessing that it is. It's usually the thing that shows up first in our lives, and it's the first thing that we never see until everybody else says, yeah, they got a problem. Pride is the thing that says, it's my way or the highway. Pride is the thing that says, it's so because I said it's so. Pride is the thing that actually is responsible for the destruction of just about every relationship I've ever been a part of or seen people go through. Pride is just that toxic. C.S. Lewis says, it is the, well, it is the, the, it is the bad one because it puts us first. Many of us are in this room because we've come to the realization that me first does not work. Only Jesus first. And there's a part of us that says, nah, we're still hanging on to some stuff. We're still holding on to stuff from the past. But there's a big part of us that says, I'm just going to let go. And I'm going to surrender. And I'm going to give the Lord Jesus my life and trust that he knows what to do with it as I offer it to him. And every Sunday, we want to create a sense that that's where we're going with our time together here. But we also want to create a sense of, as Jesus has called us to let go of stuff, even as we've let go of it for him, he's calling us to embrace things that he puts in our path that are new, that are aligned with his purpose. Because you remember, he's the one who puts kings in place in different seasons, for different times. If he's doing that, then he's saying to you and I, you're here because I've created this space that way. And by design, as weird as it sounds, it should be appropriately effective for you to connect with me. And maybe you're coming to him out of fear, out of worry, out of hope, out of need or just the sheer sense of gratitude that you finally recognize the blessings in front of you. Whatever it is that God is doing in your life, 
He's saying, I want you to come close to me so that you can see it as I see it. Let me pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, as we have gathered around this message and we see Daniel, who is a, he is a precursor to what you did. He went into exile and was with a group of people that were basically not right. And as that world was not right, I'm sure he looked at himself and said, I got some things to work on as well. And as you came into the world, Lord Jesus, you came from a perfect place into an imperfect world. You exiled yourself from the Father's right hand, and you became one of us. The only difference is you are right, and you were right, and you are right from the inside out. And the world that is broken is the world that you've come to save, us included. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you find us, even as we're in exile from the thing that we were made for, I pray that you find us faithful in the moment for whatever it is that you have given us to do, to recognize that we need to do work on the inside that perhaps reveals our pride and the things that are not Jesus-like in our being. And then we need to look at the world around us and say, how has where I've been in my pride affected how I've spoken to and about and related to other people? Help me to see them as you see them. And Father, I pray for our church that you give us a heart of humility that says we are here for you to do your good work inside of us so that you can be glorified outside this building. And I just pray, Father, that you give us eyes to see what you see as we seek to glorify your name in this moment. We only trust the outcome to you and you alone as we surrender our lives to you. And we pray for our church, the churches in the community, your kingdom, that it would come, and the people that are lost, that they would discover who you are by, faith, by people that are faithful to the message you've given us. So I lift our congregation and everyone in this room up to you for that end, in Jesus' name. And we say together, Um, so let's take a minute and if you're not present in the moment just ask you to be present now because the, the container that holds the bread and the wine it's modern, it's a reflection of the way of life of people in the 21st century. But the substance that's inside of it is a, is a perennial symbol that says this is the body of Christ. It's the very foundation of our life with the Lord and our life with each other. And it reminds us of our identity, that is we are saved by grace, no one here is perfect. And Babylon wasn't perfect, but deeply loved and transformed by the good word that was given to them. And we ourselves, in a more intimate way, discover that Christ gives embodiment to the love of God in a way that Daniel never understood, neither did Nebuchadnezzar. And as he embodied that, he 
he did something very special, and that is he gave his life under the messiest and most unjust of circumstances as a reflection of the depth of God's love for us. There's no one in this church that God says, your sin outpaces my grace, but rather my grace will always outpace your sin. There's also a sense that when we're not bringing our lives into right order with him and he's convicted us about things, that we have one of two choices. We can ignore it and eventually God will just say, now you're gonna probably have to reap the consequences. Not my, not my, my desire by any stretch. Or we can say, Lord Jesus, help me to just follow you and put you in that mix so that not by my own will, but by your strength, I can begin to repattern my life around you. Help me to appreciate the process that it sometimes is by faithful and habitual connection with you. We gather every week because we're doing exactly that. We're connecting with him. He's connecting with us in a very intimate way so that we can be reminded of who we are and whose we are. Let's take together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your grace outpaces our sin and that your kindness leads us to repentance and that your vision for life is so incredible that anything lesser is just its own version of hell. And you see that and you don't want us to be in that space because you made us for something more. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us a vision of the way of life that we were designed for to begin with. And where we have blinders, where we can't see it, where we are fixated, where we are grasping, help us to see how those idols will not carry us through. Only you, Lord. And so we give you thanks for this loaf and this cup as we take it. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever you're ready, stand and we'll close. Be still, there is a healer. His love is deeper than the sea. His mercy is unfailing. His arms are fortress for the weak. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. I lift my hands to believe again. You are my refuge. You are my strength. As I pour out my heart, these things are.
love you, God. We thank you for that, that you are with us always. We praise you for this day, for this time together. May we go from this place and put you first in everything and show you to everyone that we can. Just be with those of our body that are hurting. Um, just uh, lift up Twyla, especially you in this moment. Um, and uh, pray you're with her and that we as her, her family can surround her and encourage her and be with her however we can. And, and the same with the rest of our body, God. There's a lot of hurting prayers we're lifting up for uh, just a thousand miles away from here where people's lives just got completely flipped and uh, devastated God just uh, may your church shine in this moment in this country and in the world and just uh, lift you up and show you to everyone we love you and we praise you amen well hopefully we're gonna see you all tonight four to six free food free pie uh, I think they're gonna be some line dancing all right uh, so I uh, hope to see you later. <laughs>